kings and Lord of lords. He is the potentate of all the universe, and he's surrounded by cows. Now, except for that great paradox, there's another interesting contrast or paradox here between the two groups of men who found Jesus at Christmas. They're shepherds and then, of course, the wise men. And the, the contrast here, there are several of how different they are. I mean, they, they couldn't be more different on the social scale. They're, the shepherds were, were low. They were looked upon as uh, untrustworthy. Um, they were crafty, dishonest. Uh, they had a well-deserved reputation of making off with things that weren't theirs. And so they were not allowed to give testimony in court because it was just assumed that people like them would lie and might steal your watch in the process. They, they were looked like, like gypsies or, or vagrants or uh, con men all rolled into one. And that's just not a stereotype that was applied to them. They, they, had, they had earned that reputation. Now, what about the wise men? You know, obviously, they're at the extreme other end of the scale. The wise men are men of influence. Uh, they show up in Jerusalem, and they had no trouble gaining an audience with the king of Israel. Uh, they went right into his presence. The shepherds, on the other hand, would not have been even welcome in the outer courts of the king. Now, a second contrast has to do with, obviously, their financial status, because here are the shepherds being the poorest of poor and the wise men being the richest of the rich. Um, as, as far as being a shepherd, it was, it was uh, shepherds had nothing. It was the lowest job you could get. Even, uh, even uh, day laborers made more money than shepherds did. Of course, they had their work, and so being a shepherd was better than being a beggar, um, but it, it was... It was the worst kind of job you could get. So the shepherds, when they do come to Bethlehem to see the child and to see what's taken place, they, of course, did not bring any gifts. They had none to offer. Well, except for that little drummer boy. He, he had... <laughs> I'm doubling down on Sunday, by the way. <laughs> okay, so the, if you were a mom and you just got your baby put to bed, even if it's in a cow trough, you know, and some little kid shows up with his toy metal drum banging on it, you know, you're... That's not going to be a welcome present at that time. And you got to read the song, you know, the little drummer boy, the, the little baby Jesus looks over and smiles at him. I'm not seeing that, you know. <laughs> What's that? Hawaiian noises, banging on your bongo like a chimpanzee. That ain't music. That's the way you do it. You get your name in nativity. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, the, um, the, the, the wise men, on the other hand, were men of great substance. I mean, they obviously had to have enough money that uh, they could afford the leisure of taking off maybe a year's time to come look for Jesus. And when they arrive, uh, they present Jesus with very costly gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How about education? That's another area of wide contrast. The shepherds were so ignorant. They were not trained. They did, had no schooling. They were illiterate. They couldn't read their own scriptures. The, the wise men, on the other hand, were very famous for being uh, uh, having great knowledge. They had knowledge in religious documents. They were knowledgeable in the magic arts and healing and astrology and astronomy. They were the professors of the day. When the Messiah's star appeared, they were able to discern that the meaning of this star was that a, a Jewish king, a savior, a Messiah was to be born. Finally, there's a contrast of proximity. These wise men 
um, coming some, from someplace east. That's a rather vague description, but they, they, they come from a, a far distance, and they're following this Bethlehem star. And when they get to Jerusalem and inquire, you know, where, the, where is your king? And they ask the wise men, when did the star appear that you have been following? And then as a result of the information that, they, that the Herod got from the wise men, he decided that he would murder all the babies in Bethlehem surrounding areas that were two years and younger. So the wise men must have been traveling from some great distance, at least months in route, in traveling, where the shepherds, of course, they're hanging out in the hills around town. They're in the Bethlehem vicinity. So those are some notable contrasts between the wise men and the shepherds. But what about some notable similarities? So they have the wise men and the shepherds, which are very different, and yet they have some astounding similar experiences. Well, first of all, each group has received a rather amazing announcement of the birth of Jesus. Of course, we've just read you know, the announcement that the angels gave. The shepherds are hanging out in their field on some dark night, and there's sudden eruption by this glory of these beings that suddenly break into their, their realm, and they're, they're saying, glory, uh, may, uh, the, well, that's what they start saying, uh, don't be afraid, duh, don't be, except for that one guy, he didn't, he didn't say don't be afraid, we didn't hear what happened to that shepherd, but the angels say, don't be afraid, um, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people, for today in the city of David, a Savior is born to you, he's Christ the Lord, this will be a sign for you, you'll find the baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, and then suddenly another greater host suddenly appears into their reality and they're praising glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. So they're, 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 there's a very visual and very verbal and very other earthly type announcement that comes to the shepherds. But was the announcement to the Magi really any less amazing? And if you were trying to get the attention of non-religious people who were stargazers and interpreters, you know, what better uh, way to grab their attention than this star of Bethlehem? And as we discussed on Sunday, we don't really know what that star was, whether it was a supernova or a comet or a conjunction of planets. Probably this was a supernatural light because not only did they follow it to Israel and know what they were going to encounter, but then it reappeared when they left Jerusalem and led them on the six-mile trip from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem to the very house where the child was. And so that's, that's got to be some supernatural phenomenon because any distant star wouldn't have been able to lead them there. So uh, it, it was a, a rather amazing thing for them as, as, as the angels were an amazing thing for these shepherds. Now, secondly, not only did they receive an amazing announcement, but the shepherds like the wise men, obeyed the summons of God when they heard it. You remember that the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out in 1977? So it's, it stars Richard Dreyfuss, and he's a blue-collar worker named Roy, and, and the, the movie starts to focus on his uh, experiences. He gets, the, he gets some sort of an encounter with aliens, and the aliens are telling him that they, he needs to meet them at this location. Well, unbeknownst to you and the rest of the people watching, there's a whole bunch of people that have been 
given this amazing announcement by this alien group that they're about to come, and they've, they've been given the invitation to join them at this specific location where the aliens and the humans will meet. That's really a lot like what's happened here with the angels, right? Because here are these totally otherworldly beings, these aliens, who are giving the, the shepherds and the wise men this um, announcement and an invitation to come. So the rest of the movie and the rest of our story is about how these people who have been given the announcement and the invitation, they, they struggle to actually come together to show up where the, this, in, this uh, encounter is going to take place. Now, can you imagine, with, with all of that amazing background, can you imagine either the shepherds or the wise men refusing the invitation? Well, let's just do a, imagine that they would refuse the invitation. I mean, the Magi were a long way away, at least months away. And they see this star, and they could have said, well, uh, it's a Jewish king being born. We're not too interested in Jewish kings. Besides that, it's a long way to Jerusalem, and we've got other stuff to do here. And, you know, there's probably going to be other dignitaries that meet the Jewish king. There's not, not all that important that we be... We know we could be wrong, too, so maybe somebody else should could go and welcome their king. They could have done that. I mean, they could have just blown it off. The shepherds, too, might have ignored the invitation. Um, they, they could have said, well, you know, we're not dressed for the occasion, and except for the little drummer boy, none of us have anything to give to the, to the king. And, uh, we're not fit company to come before someone who is so great that angels announce his presence. Uh, and they might have even asked, you know, something like, you know, well, we have a job to do. We're supposed to be taking care of these sheep. If we leave and go to Bethlehem to meet this infant baby, who's going to do our job for us? Who's going to take care of, of the sheep? But the interesting thing is that neither the wise men nor the shepherds uh, made excuses and didn't go. The shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. But lastly, let's consider the contrast between the wise men, the shepherds, and ourselves, because we're told that after the shepherds come to Bethlehem and see the child, that they leave and they spread the word about what they had seen. In other words, the shepherds become the witnesses of this great event. Now, the reason that they become witnesses is because there was a great event, and they needed to tell people who needed to hear of this great event. Now, you think about it, the shepherds had the same reasons for not sharing the good news as you and I have, because they could say, I'm not really that knowledgeable. I haven't really been educated. I mean, isn't that true of the shepherds? And isn't that a common excuse that we use for not sharing the good news? The shepherds could have said, you know, I'm not really credible. Um, people would have no reason to believe me. You, know, you would say, People who have known my life in the past would know what a rascal I am, and I'm not really a credible source to, to, uh, to, to speak these great words. Or, you know, the shepherds like you and I would say, yeah, that's a great message, and it's really important for people to hear it, but I'm just too busy right now. I can't really take time off work. Now, can we doubt that the shepherds had something worth telling? I mean, hardly, because if their story was not worth telling. Really, there's no story 
ever told that would be worth telling. And if it's not true, then of course we're still in a position in life where we, our lives lack joy and meaning. So what happened to them? You know, what changed them? Think about it. They were out in their fields in Bethlehem watching their sheep for the hundreds of nights before this. Their fathers had been watching the sheep for hundreds of nights before that. And they weren't looking for anything supernatural. They weren't expecting any, any miracles. And then suddenly this, these angels appeared with good news of great joy that will be for all people. Um, now these shepherds had actually seen for themselves God incarnate. They had heard the music of heaven. They had seen the angels. They'd come and worshipped the same being that the angels worshipped. You know, how could their tongues be silent with that kind of good news? How could they refuse to tell what they had seen? Could we say they're shepherds, they're not trustworthy, they're not a reliable source, they were not authorized to share that message, nobody ordained them to be the speaker of this message? Could we argue that they were uneducated or that they'd not been endorsed by the proper Jewish religious authorities? I mean, if anyone would argue that way, let them notice that the greatest authorization for speaking was the possession of good news. If you possess good news, you are authorized to share that good news, to tell it to others. And really, the only essential for proclaiming the gospel is actually just a knowledge of it. So everyone who is a Christian can tell others about Christ. Now, I wonder if you and I have been obedient to God as those shepherds who are so low on the social scale of their day, or the wise men who were so removed physically from all the events taking place in Judea, I wonder if we have been as obedient as they are. I mean, you know the story of Christmas, and you know the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death for sinners, which is really what Christmas is all about. I mean, it doesn't really matter when he was born. We were celebrating his incarnation. It doesn't matter that he was born in the spring or if he was born on December 25th. What matters is God who dwelt eternally as God entered into our time slot. He entered into our physical world. He possessed a physical body, which he still possesses. Something remarkable has taken place there. Christmas is the preparation for the death of Christ, which is our salvation. Now, you know the invitation that Christ has given. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you responded to that invitation? Have you obeyed God's summons? See, I ask that question because you have not found Christmas, nor will you ever find it until you do. Join with me with a word of prayer, and I'll invite the worship team back up. Father God, we thank you this evening as we anticipate celebration of the birth of Jesus. And it's so amazing that you broke into our world. And we celebrate not just another birth that took place 4 BC sometime. We celebrate the fact that Christ took on flesh and dwelled among us, and then he died for us 
that you would find reason to forgive us of our sins because of the death, the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this evening as we anticipate the celebration of his birth, I pray that you bring this new meaning to our lives and to our hearts. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.